Well, good morning, Zoe Church. It is so good to be with you this morning. I wanna welcome those who are here for the very first time. We've been having people join us every single week. Actually, I'd love it if you could do me a favor. If you are new today for the first time or just new in the last couple weeks, if you would go to either the chat area or the comment section and just type the word new. That's it, just type the word new. We've got people there that would just love to say hello to you this morning. Well, we are in week two of the series that we kicked off last week in the book of Philippians. I said over the next several months, we're gonna be walking through uh, Philippians section by section. I know this is gonna be a great series for you. Every week, uh, you are gonna be encouraged in your faith, but I know you're also gonna be challenged in your faith. Uh, The image that we're using for Philippians is this, of this bottle of water being poured out. And that's the image that we see in Philippians, this idea of being emptied that if we're gonna be followers of Christ, we've gotta look like Jesus who emptied himself for our benefit. And and I'm so excited to have a chance to be with you again today. Uh, Question for you, have you you ever played Pictionary? You know I'm talking Pictionary, you know, you got a little thing, you gotta draw pictures, people gotta guess what it is. But more specifically, have you ever played Pictionary with somebody who can't draw? (laughs) There's a horrible drawer and the whole time you're like, I have no idea what you're drawing. You know, the drawing ends up looking something like this. It's just this random shape and they just start drawing arrows and just hitting it over and over. And you're like, I don't know what you're drawing, you know? And at the end, they're like, it's a castle. Can't you tell this is a castle? You're like, yeah, no, that's not what it's supposed to look like, right? And it's funny when you're playing a game like Pictionary, but how many of you know it's not as funny when it's things that actually matter, like the church? My guess is this has happened to you before because I know it's happened to me where I've seen a person or seen a group of people or actually looked at a church before and I've said to myself, that's not what that's supposed to look like, you know? The stuff that kind of ticks you off, the stuff that frustrates you, the times where you're just like, I don't think that's what Jesus' idea of what the church was supposed to be. And it's easy for us to say that when we see what's wrong, to say that's not right. But the question I wanna ask is, what is right? What is the church really supposed to look like? What does it mean for you? What does it really mean for me? The passage of scripture we're gonna look at today, uh, Paul doesn't teach us what the church is supposed to look like, but I believe he models what the church is supposed to look like. And when we get to the end of this message, I've got a question for you that you have to ask yourself. Oh, it's a simple question, but it's one every single one of us needs to ask ourselves. If you got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse number three. In this series, it's really important every week that you have your Bible with you in front of you. We wanna be able to read this, look at it and see what the scripture says to us. Let's read together beginning in verse number three. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for an opportunity to be with you. And so Lord, we say this, we open our ears, we open our minds, we open our hearts. Would you speak to us? Jesus name, amen. Amen. Well, before we get into what it is 
Paul models for us. What I wanna do is give us a little more context. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch at least the first 10 or 15 minutes to get a handle on kind of what's going on leading up to this book itself. But we talked about it, that the writers are Paul and Timothy, but specifically, Timothy most likely is the one scribing this thing down, and it's Paul who is speaking. And who is Paul? Paul is a guy who is going around planting churches and he goes to the city of Philippi and he plants a brand new church. He, he reaches a few people, people for Jesus and then a church starts to form and these believers start to form. And Paul has a close relationship with these guys and he's, he's teaching them, he's leading them in faith, right? And they're growing whatever. Eventually Paul moves on, but he continues in relationship. As you read this and you read other parts of scripture, you see Paul had a close relationship with this Philippian church, super close. He loved them, they loved him. They worked together, right? But Paul is now uh, moved on and he is writing a letter of encouragement to these believers in Philippi because they're in the city and it isn't always easy to follow Christ. Like they're facing some persecution for following Christ and, and Paul understands this because Paul is writing this letter from prison. We said this last week that knowing who's talking changes what's being said. And the fact that Paul is the one saying this, he's the one writing this from prison, it actually colors everything that we're gonna look at together. Now, if this letter feels different than some of the other letters that Paul writes, you're totally right. Because a lot of the other letters that Paul writes, he's, he's challenging people, he's confronting issues. Sometimes he's mentoring a, a, somebody who's underneath of him. But this letter is just a little bit different. It's a little more intimate. It's a little more of a loving relationship. I don't know about you, but I was never all that great at English. Um, especially I was not good at grammar. I was just, all the rules, I just never understood any of those things. My personal philosophy is if it sounds good, it's good, right? Which is good for me because I don't have to write you letters every week. I just got to talk to you. And as long as it sounds good, we're good, right? But even I, even though I'm not good at all that stuff, I understood that there's two types of letters we have. We've got formal letters, right? And then we've got casual letters. And there's certain rules when it comes to writing those letters. But you see, in the Greco-Roman world, there was far more than two letters. There were actually 21 different kinds of letters. And one of those letters is known as a friendship letter. That's what the book of Philippians is. Now, friendship in the Greco-Roman world, it was a little more formal than what we have. In fact, people like Aristotle and Cicero would write about this and, and talk about the rules and what it means to be a friend. It was, it was far more than what we have on Facebook. Like we friend everybody, right? I got thousands of friends. I don't know who they are, but I've got thousands of friends, right? That's not what it was like in the Roman world. There was a, a sense of commitment when you were a friend. There were kind of rules and mindsets that you had, this understanding of fidelity and loyalty and affection and goodwill. In fact, there was a sense of obligation, not like in a bad way, but the sense of like, there are things I'm obligated to if I'm actually going to be a friend with someone. This sense that we are gonna care for one another. There's gonna be a mutual concern for needs between us. This is what it meant to be a friend. And that's what this friendship letter exposes. As we dig into Philippians, we're gonna see this playing out. But I think this, more than just exposing this Greco-Roman concept of friendship, I believe this, that Paul takes it much, much deeper and he exposes a kingdom concept for us. So I want us to walk a little bit through this and then I'm gonna point out some things that I think Paul is modeling for us. We go to verse number three and it says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Stop there. I thank my God every time I remember you. How often are you thankful when you think about things? 
I thought about this this past week and I, and I had this thought, what if your thinking turned into thanking? What if your thinking turned into thanking? What if as you were thinking about things, you allowed that to produce a thankful heart in you? When you think about your spouse, instead of just thinking about you, thank God. About your kids, you, you thank God. Uh, about the fact that you have a job, you thank God. About the fact that you have a meal before you, thank God. What if your thinking produced thankfulness in your heart? I think it could transform your life. We, we go on though and it says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I think this is amazing because think about who's writing this. Paul, this is Paul, the apostle Paul, Saint Paul, the one who wrote much of the New Testament, this guy, and he's celebrating that these other people are partners in the gospel. These people that he led to faith, these people that they're not traveling around, nobody knows their names, but they are partners in the gospel. I love the attitude that you see with him, Paul. Go back to verse number one. We read this last week that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This word servant, it literally means a slave. Like Paul was saying, listen, I'm no better. I'm just a part of this thing. We're all in this thing together. That's what Paul is trying to communicate to this Philippian church. We're partners in this gospel together. It goes on, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is a verse I think all of us have heard before, but it, it means even more when you understand who's writing this. Paul, he was actually there at the beginning. He who began a good work, Paul was there. He started that good work. He partnered with the, the Holy Spirit to produce a work within this church. But where is he now? He's in prison. Like he's not able to be there all the time. He's not able there to answer all of their questions, to be there to support them all the time. But his confidence isn't in him. His confidence is the one who is working, right? This one who is gonna continue to work in their lives. And I think some of us need to step back and remember some things because some of you came to faith a few months ago, a few years ago, maybe a few decades ago. It's been a long time since you remember that. Remember that God, God did a work in your heart. And that confidence that we can have that he continues to work in our lives. He wants to work in your life. And it's possible you've got off track a little bit somewhere. Maybe you've got sideways somewhere. You've got focus on th some things that don't really matter. Listen, if we stay submitted to him, he will keep working in our lives. He wants to keep working in your life. We say, God, God, I can be confident that you are the one. You're gonna take me to completion. You have a destination in mind here and you are leading me there. That's what Paul is trying to remind these believers. Their trust is in him. He goes on and says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Like, I love you guys. I love you so much. He's got this close relationship. But since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains, whether I'm in prison, which he is right now, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We talked about this last week. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's the, the favor of God, his attitude toward us that we don't deserve. And here's the good news, is that attitude of grace, that unmerited favor isn't circumstantial. It isn't based on what's going on. Because listen, Paul, he's in prison right now. He's like, it doesn't matter if you're in prison. It doesn't matter if you're in a good situation. It doesn't matter those things. God's grace is there for it, is available to all of us. Not just because me, I'm special Paul and I'm all great. No, no, no. Every single one of us, God's grace is available to us. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
If we see this, 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 this little section is marked by this deep relationship. He loves them. He has this deep affection. I think it's really important for us to know because in our world, I don't think we, we allow deep affection without trying to sexualize it in some way. Our culture says you can't have, two guys can't have a deep relationship without it becoming sexualized in some way. Two women can't have a deep relationship without it becoming sexualized somewhat. And, and I just don't think that's what the church is supposed to look like. God's desire is that we have deep relationship and it can be in a beautiful, in a pure manner as Paul has this deep affection and relationship with this church. So this is what we've got going on. Although Paul isn't teaching directly in this, I do believe that this Thanksgiving section, it, it models for us what the church is supposed to look like. And so if, you've, uh, if you're gonna take some notes, these are a few things you might wanna write down. We're gonna look at three different things. Uh, the first thing we're gonna look is that the church is a group of believers with a shared purpose. Like this is what he's modeling, that the church is supposed to have a shared purpose. Now for some churches, for some churches, that shared purpose is, is just come to the building. Just get the people to come to the building, which it really stinks right now because nobody can come to the building, all right? But that's, that, that's the mentality. Many churches, it's like, let's just keep the people busy. You gotta keep them away from the, the evil world and get them in the building and keep them nice and safe, right? Doesn't really matter what we do. We gotta have services. We gotta have studies. We gotta have activities. I don't care if it's a potluck. You gotta keep the people safe, right? Which is hard for me because I don't like potlucks. If you like potlucks, that's fine. I'm just not a big fan of potlucks. Here's the deal. I don't wanna eat your food until I've seen your kitchen, okay? That's just how I am, right? Like, like I've been to some people's house and I look at their kitchen. I'm like, oh, I sure hope they don't try to feed me anything, you know? That's just me. Maybe you're fine with it. I don't really care. But listen, church ain't about the potlucks. It's great if you like potlucks, but that is not what we're about. That is not our purposes. Keeping people busy is not the purpose of the church. What is it? Look at verse number five. Because of your partnership in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel, the purpose of the church is the gospel. The gospel, it is the good news, the good news of what God has done and is doing in the world through the work of Jesus Christ, that he sent his son into the world for salvation, that his death and resurrection purchased for us salvation that we couldn't purchase on our own, that we could not achieve on our own, but it's more than just a salvation moment. Christ came to establish his kingdom here on earth and more than just a moment where we are saved, we have been invited into the gospel. The gospel invites us in that we would allow the kingdom of heaven to come here on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's what the gospel is. And our call, our shared purpose is that of the gospel. And it's not just something we talk about. It's something we live out as we live kingdom principles, as we live the way he has called us to live. This is what we are sharing, this purpose of the gospel. And it's more than just a corporate thing, right? It's more than just something we all do together. It's, it's your life. It's my life. That I am a partner in the gospel. It may sound weird, but you are a partner in the gospel. Whoever you talk to, wherever you live, whatever relationships you have, there's an opportunity for you to bring the gospel there. Like if Paul was here, and it's kind of crazy to think, Paul, the apostle Paul, remember that guy who had all the cool stuff and did all the amazing stuff? If he was here today, you know what he'd say? If you're a follower of Christ, you are a partner in the gospel. 
Oh, there might be some more prominent places like I get to stand on a stage and I get to speak the truth. But listen, every single one of us, if we are followers of Christ, we are partners in the gospel. That is our calling, right? And it's a beautiful, beautiful calling. The question I wanna ask is, do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as a partner? Do you live that way? With this sense of like everything I do is an opportunity to live out the gospel, to share the hope of Christ, to share who is in control. Is that a part of how you see yourself? You know what I love? I love being a part of this church because there's so many of you that on a regular basis inspire my faith. Because I watch your life. I watch the way you live. I watch how you're looking to leverage every opportunity you have, the resources you have, the influence you have, the relationships you have, you know, the, the, the jobs and professions you have, leveraging it for the sake of the gospel. That's what we're called to. Paul would say this, listen, the church is a bunch of people with a shared purpose that we are partners in the gospel. The second thing we're gonna look at is this, that we have a shared hope. We have a shared hope. Oh, the purpose is shared, but we also share this hope together. Look what it says in verse number six. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? Like, where's our confidence? Our confidence isn't in us. It's not in our abilities. Our confidence is in him. Our confidence is in this God that we know is at work. We've been singing it a lot lately, this song, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working, right? It's this confidence that we have. We have this hope in our God who we know is at work all the time, even when we don't understand it. But more than just a God who is at work, we have the shared hope of a common destiny. Like we know where we're headed for eternity and that should produce hope in our hearts. You know, Paul wrote about this, that we don't mourn like those who don't have hope. Like it doesn't matter what's going on in our world. We have a hope that the world can never take away, right? And right now we're in a world that, that desperately needs hope. We live in a world that is struggling, that, that is looking for any hope anywhere. They're like, what is going on? Listen, we are those who have this shared hope. We have a, a common hope. There is something that, that the world can't take from us, right? And it doesn't matter what the circumstance, it doesn't mean everything's gonna be great. It doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect. Remember, where is Paul writing this from? He is writing it from prison. He's writing it in a place he doesn't wanna be, but he says, listen, our confidence is that this God is at work. Even when we don't understand it, he is moving, right? This is that shared hope that we have. We talked about it last week. Our confidence is, is in who God is. Our confidence is what he provides. And our confidence is in who he says we are, right? That's where it's at. Our hope isn't grounded in a circumstance. It's grounded in truth. So the question I wanna ask you is this, are you living as someone with hope? Like, are you living differently? If someone looked at your life, would they say, and that's a person, you know, everything doesn't go great in their life, but you can tell they have a hope. Finally, we're, we talk about a shared purpose. We talk about shared hope. And then lastly, we talk about a shared love for one another. A shared love for one another. 
And this section, I, I mean, let's be honest, it, it oozes love. It just feels like one of these ushy-gushy letters. And, and maybe it's a little uncomfortable for you to talk about that, but let's just be real. The church is not supposed to look like the way it does sometimes, where it looks like, hey, love you, brother. Care for you, sister. You know, just this very cold standoff. Like, that's not what the church was ever supposed to be like, right? It was supposed to be this sense of a heartfelt love, the sense of this deep and ongoing love, this, this sense of a self sacrificing kind of love. That's what the church is supposed to be, right? Not this cold entity, you know? And it sickens me sometimes. It sickens me when I see people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and you're like, man, they're the most unloving person, uncaring person I've ever seen, right? It sickens me sometimes when I see churches that are, you know, they, they suddenly have a division. They split because they can't get along. It's like, are you kidding me? Right? It sickens me, but I, I guarantee you this. It breaks the heart of God because that was not his intention. A bunch of people just, just acting callously toward one another, not really caring for one another. How do I know that? When Jesus talked about with his disciples what this church is going to kind of look like. He said this in John chapter 13. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Kind of get a theme there, right? This idea of loving one another. This is what our call is, to love one another. And I love it. Jesus said, as I have loved you. He's like, don't love people the way you normally do. Just like, eh, whatever, whatever works, we'll go with that. No, no, love people as I have loved you. How did Jesus love his disciples? A few days later, he would lay his life down, literally dying for others, emptying himself completely. He says, that's how you're supposed to love people dying to yourself, laying, emptying yourself completely, right? That's what it looks like to love. But I love this also. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this. A lot of times we think people will know us by our good deeds that we do out here and the way that we love all those people out there. But Jesus says, the way they're gonna know you're my disciples is if you love one another, Right? Why? Because the church is made up of a variety of people. Zoe Church right here. We've got young, we've got young, we've are old, we've got black, we've got white, we've got Hispanic, we've got every nationality, we've got rich, we've got those who don't have means, we've got people with lots of education, we've got those who don't have any education. We've got all these different things. You know what's supposed to be enticing to the world? Seeing a group of people like that actually love one another, care for one another, meet each other's needs, lay, each, lay themselves down completely, self-sacrificing for the sake of another. That's what the church is supposed to be. If we're gonna be the church Jesus desired, then it demands a deep kind of love, right? And, and what I've loved watching over the last month, although this has been a challenging season, it's been so beautiful to watch those who are a part of Zoe Church really start living this out. We launched Zoe Cares just a month ago. And every week I'm watching some of you step forward and say, you know what? I wanna meet someone's need. I wanna provide. Some of you who have means have been giving above and beyond. You've been sacrificing. I saw somebody this past week step forward at Zoe Cares and say, listen, listen, there's people that I know who are willing to give. Are there those who have a need? And, and be able, she was able to take those finances and purchase things. It wasn't that the church, this entity of the church was doing it. No, you guys, the church are living this thing out, showing love toward one another. That's what the church is supposed to be. This shared love for one another. 
That's what should inspire a world. That's what should say to a world that is lost and broken to say, man, there is some hope there. I don't see this anywhere else. So we've got this, that Paul's modeling the shared purpose, a shared hope and this shared love for one another. So what? Okay, so what's the point of this thing? We always ask that question. I don't ever want you to get to the end of a message and say, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this thing. What was the point of this thing? Here is the big so what, and it's a very simple question we all have to ask ourselves. It's this, which church are you? Which church are you? We say this all the time. We don't do church. We don't go to church. We are the church. You are the church. So which church are you? Are you the kind of church where people look at you and they say, oh man, man, when I see this person, man, there's just such a joy in their heart, man. They just are so passionate about the gospel. You can tell that they're just wanting to speak and share the gospel and live the gospel out. Are you that kind of a person? Or are you the kind of person where even when things are going rough, there's just a hope that's inside of you and you can have a confidence in who God is and a confidence in the truth? Is, are you that type of a person? Are you, are you the type of person who has a, a shared love? Like you just love one another. You're sharing this love. You, you self-sacrifice for the sake of others. Are you that kind of a church? When they look at you and they say, man, that's exactly what the church is like. Are you the kind of person when they look, they look at you and they say, that doesn't look right. I don't think that's what the church is supposed to look like. Listen, I don't say this to you here because I'm, I'm trying to give a guilt trip in some way. I just think we need a reality check sometimes to say, okay, what church am I? Which church are you? I think for some of us, if we're honest, and I know even for me this past week, it's been a challenge in my heart to say, okay, God, am I as passionate about the gospel all the time? Am I looking to allow the gospel to flow through me all the time? I think there's, a, there's some more work. I think you need to burden my heart more than I already am. God, I know I have a hope in you, but there's sometimes where I get a little discouraged and I don't stand firmly on the truth. God, help me to do that a little bit more. God, God, my heart, it isn't as loving as I know it needs to be. God, I need you to do a work in my heart. And here's the beautiful part of the gospel is that if we will surrender to him, he who began, remember that? He who began a good work, he will bring it to completion. He will keep working in your life. He will transform you as we allow him to, will we surrender to him? Will we give him the opportunity in the season that we're in? You know, it's one of those seasons where everything's kind of a little bit in upheaval. I think it's a time where, where God has an opportunity to speak to us. And I think one of the most important things that we can do is turn to him with a heart of repentance. See, repentance is turning away from some things and it's turning toward God. It's possible you'd say, God, God, I, I, don't really, I don't really act like I care at all about the gospel. You might say, I'm not sure even that, that I can muster that up, but God, I wanna turn away from that. God, I desire to have a heart for the gospel, to see myself as a partner in the gospel. God, would you burden my heart? It may require you to say, God, I need your help, but I am intentionally turning away and turning toward you right now. I believe God wants to do something, that we would have a, a heart of repentance, that God would reignite a flame inside of us. Like I said, some of you that are, are grown a little bit cold, maybe your faith has waned a little bit, that God would begin to reignite that again. You would say, God, I need you. God, I wanna be all you've called me to. You didn't save me to just sit around and wait for heaven. You have called me to be a part of your kingdom now. 
I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to respond in a moment. I know it's easy to just kind of turn things off right now, but I want you to stay with me for a moment because I think we all need a moment before God. But there's others of you who would, who maybe you've never responded to Christ. You've never turned your life over to Jesus. And if you're totally honest with me, the, part of the reason is because you looked at Christ and you said, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Like, I don't wanna, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't wanna be a part of that. Here's the thing that you need to understand. When we call ourselves Christians, it does not mean that we are perfect. The beautiful part of the gospel is that he doesn't call the perfect, he perfects the called. And he's calling you right now. Listen, we aren't perfect. We're a bunch of people who needed saving. But the fact is, all of us are in that place. Apart from Christ, there's nothing we could do to be perfect, to get right relationship with God. But see, Jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He provides salvation through his son, Jesus. And if you would place your faith and your trust and your hope in this Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died and he rose again, if you would surrender your life to him, you would have a brand new beginning. That you could have this hope we've talked about. You could join the family of God that we've talked about today. I think God is calling you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you do love in a way that we don't deserve. God, you've called us Every single one of us, you've called us by name, Lord. The question is, are we gonna respond? And how are we gonna respond? And Lord, I pray right now for those of us who would say we are followers of Christ. We, we say we've committed our lives to Jesus. God, I pray that you begin to speak to our hearts. If there's areas in our life where maybe we haven't been modeling the church quite the right way, if our hearts haven't been burdened the way they need to be, Lord, I ask that you would, you would do a work in us right now. God, I pray that you would speak to us right now whether it's an area of the gospel, whether it's an area of hope, whether it's an area of loving others, whatever it is, I pray that you would grip us once again, Lord. I'm gonna give you an opportunity just for about 20, 30 seconds to just simply ask God to speak to your heart, to speak specifically to you right now. If there's an area that you, you've gotten a little cold in, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. God, we thank you that you're patient with us. We ask that you would keep stirring in our hearts this week, that you would just build a, a deeper passion in our hearts than we've ever had before, God, that, that we would be the kind of church you've called us to be. As we continue to pray, I, I wanna talk to those that maybe you've never responded to Christ and, and this is an opportunity for you. Listen, there's it, not some special prayer, some supernatural prayer that you gotta pray. What you have to do is just simply acknowledge your need for God and to turn your life over to him and to put your faith in Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer just like this, dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I, I thank you that you care about me and that you have pursued me. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you are seated on the throne right now. I acknowledge that I'm a broken sinner and that I need saving and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I confess you as my leader, as my Lord, as my King, and I, I surrender my life completely to you. I pray that you would help me to live for you, to live for your kingdom right now on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that in your name.
Amen.